there's a story in the Bible. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, uh, there's this incredible story that is only found in the gospel of Luke. Uh, and it is a story that is kind of just a one-off story that I believe that God really wants to speak to us today about three things that if we're going to make Jesus our passion and priority will be a game changer for you as a church as you move forward into this next season. And I believe that these three action steps will profoundly impact you. And if we're going to be this church that makes Jesus our passion and priority, Velocity Church, number one, what we have to do is we have got to walk with Jesus. And I want to dive right into this in Luke chapter 7. If you want to, if you want to read with me, it's going to be on the screen there with you. It says, soon afterwards, and, and I just want to stop right there because so many times when I'm reading my Bible and, and I'm just reading through it, I'll read words like soon afterwards and I'll just pass by them. But as I've gotten a little bit older and a little bit more mature, I've started asking myself the question when the Bible says like soon after, soon after what? Like what has just happened? And if you go back in the first couple of chapters of Luke, it's about the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And then Jesus starts doing some absolutely incredible things. Um, in chapter four, he heals a leper. In chapter five, uh, I mean, he heals a paralyzed man. And then uh, in chapter six, in chapter seven, he breaks off some of the greatest teaching that the world has ever known. And like people are being blown away by what Jesus is saying. And, and so he says, soon after all of these incredible things and marvelous teaching, incredible healings, it says, soon after, Jesus went to a town called Nain, which is interesting because Nain is not really mentioned very much in the Bible at all. It's this obscure place in Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem. And he went to this place called Nain and it says his disciples in a large crowd went along with him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about this passage of scripture, and when I was reading through it, there is a crowd that is following Jesus, and the Bible says that his disciples were going, and a large crowd was going, and I think that there was this buzz that was going on in this crowd, and, and, and I, I started asking myself, what do you think the people were saying there? Like, what do you think was going on in this large crowd that was following Jesus? And I think that what was happening is, is as, as these people were, were there and they were following Jesus, there was this sense of, of, of anticipation that was within this crowd. They, they had just walked and, and they had seen this guy that, that was a leper. He had things falling off. Maybe he was at a party. He was going to dip some nachos and his finger fell off. And they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus shows up on the scene, heals this guy. His fingers are no longer falling off. Then they encounter this guy named Bob. They're like, what's up, Bob? Bob's, Bob's paralyzed. His friends lower him down. Jesus instantaneously heals him. All of a sudden, Bob is partying with him. Then they encounter Jesus, and he is breaking off some of the best teaching they've ever heard. They're like, who in the world is this guy? Like, he is profound, and he's blowing our minds. And they're like, man, I don't know really what's going on, but there's this sense of anticipation with Jesus, and they're thinking to themselves, man, I don't really understand what's happening or why this is happening. In fact, I'm not even sure I really believe all this. All I know is that everywhere this man goes, something unbelievable happens. And if I will just continue to follow him, if I'll just continue to walk with him, I believe that I'm going to see some absolutely incredible things. And I believe that the Velocity Church, there should be a sense of anticipation inside of us 
every single time we're going to encounter God. I believe that we should be getting speeding tickets on the way to church every single weekend because we cannot wait to see what God is going to do in our church this week. We saw what he did last week, but we cannot wait to see what's going to happen this week. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Instead of arriving 10 minutes early, we're content and okay with arriving 10 minutes late, aren't we? Like, we wouldn't do that for a movie. We wouldn't do that for a Broadway play. But when it comes to God and when it comes to church, so many times we're like, man, it isn't that big a deal. But I think that if we go into this new year with this sense of anticipation that we have this mentality of, I can't wait to see what God is going to do today. And I think every Christian should have this passion and this sense of anticipation for God. I'm going to walk with God, and he might do right now, he might not do right now, but I just believe that if I walk with him long enough, that eventually God is going to do something that is absolutely going to blow my mind, and I'm going to be in awe. I just need to keep walking with him. You see, if we're not walking with Jesus, there's actually another crowd that's in this story. And in this story in verse 12, it says, As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from town was with her. Now, I want you to see this because there is a large crowd that is following Jesus and there is this sense of anticipation that is within them. And they're like, oh, shoot, man, something is about to break loose. And they're pumped to see what Jesus is going to do. And then there's another crowd that's with this woman. And there's a funeral that is going on with this woman. And, And while there's a sense of anticipation with Jesus' crowd, with this woman, there is a sense of frustration. There's this sense of like, man, I believe that God could heal my son, and he didn't. I thought God was going to do the miraculous, and he didn't. He could have, but he didn't. And these people were frustrated, and their heads are down, and and they're looking down, and, and they're walking that way, and there's this procession of death in their crowd, and at the same time, there's this procession of life that are coming, and they're about to meet head to head. And here's what I know is that some of you that are watching here today, I know that you're listening right now and you don't have a sense of anticipation in your life. Instead of anticipation, what you have is frustration. God didn't do this. God didn't fix my marriage. Man, God, God, God allowed this sickness to come into my life. Man, my, my finances are a mess right now. And there's all kinds of reasons you have a sense of frustration brewing up in your life right now. But the crowd that was walking in frustration, if they would have just lifted their heads up, they would have realized that that the one that was coming towards them could have changed their attitudes and their opinions about everything. And there's some of you that you're in the frustration line today that you need to jump over to the anticipation line. Because if you're frustrated with what you perceive God not to have done, what you have to understand is that God sees exactly who you are and where you are. If God was willing to go to some obscure town called Nain, he knows exactly where you are right now, Velocity Church. He knows exactly right 
where you are in your moment. He's saying, listen, there isn't a place or a space that I'm not willing to go to meet you in your place of frustration, to change it from frustration to anticipation. But you've got to be willing to look up and see who's coming towards you. And we've got to walk with Jesus. And number two, you got to listen to Jesus. We got to be willing to listen to what he says to each and every one of us. And I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to be pretty selfish in my life. I'm pretty self-absorbed. And there's one particular area where their selfishness kind of plays out to the max, and that is in the area of food. I am not a food sharer. Like when my wife and I go out to eat, I do not share my food. My wife will be like, can I have some of your macaroni and cheese? And I'll be like, no, you cannot have some of my macaroni and cheese. If you want macaroni and cheese, you need to get your own macaroni and cheese. Or she'll be like, can I have a fry? And I'll be like, no, I will buy you some fries. But if you touch my fries, I will slap you in the name of Jesus. I know it's my sin. I'm trying to get over it. But it's like, I don't share food really, really well. And uh, my friends that know me really well know that one of the things that I love as a food group, and it's one of the favorite things that my wife makes at our house periodically is biscuits. I, I love, love, love me some biscuits. And I like biscuits, the, the flaky biscuits. That And what will happen is Shayla will bake them and they'll come out of the oven. They're piping hot. And as soon as they come out of the oven, I will grab a biscuit. I'll open it up. And when I open it up, it's got all the steam coming out of it. It's like so good at right in that moment. And what I'll do is I'll grab some gobs of butter and put it on one side and grab another gob of butter and put it on the other side of the biscuit. Then I'll grab some honey and I'll just smother those biscuits in honey, like so much honey that it would blow your mind. And what I'll do is I'll put the biscuits together and I will not eat them right at that moment. Like I want them to sit there and marinate in the butter. I want them to marinate in, in, the, in the honey because I don't really want to eat the biscuit. I basically want, when I put the biscuit in my mouth for it just to slide down my throat, I want to drink the biscuit. Like I am about the biscuit. And so we, she Macy's biscuits. I do this. I leave it there on the biscuit tray after I load it up because I want to eat the best thing at the very end. And we go and we're eating our meal and I, I get to the very end of the meal and I go to the biscuit tray and my biscuit is missing. And I turn to my wife and I'm like, Shay, did, did, did you eat my biscuit? Now, this is the woman that I love. I said, till death do you part. And this is what she says. She says, I ate a biscuit. And I said, well, did, did, that, did that biscuit have a lot of butter? She's like, oh, it was very buttery. I said, did, did it taste like honey? She said, oh, yeah, it was sweet like honey. And I'm like, you ate my biscuit. Like, what's up with that? And, and I got angry in that moment. I know that that sounds ridiculous, but I was angry at her in that moment. And like, what, what are you going to say like to your wife at that moment? I mean, I love her. I will do anything for her. I will die for her. But I'm like, you ate my biscuit and that is not right. And she looked at me and she literally said, TJ, you're bigger than this. Get over it. Like, what do you say in that moment? Like, your mama? I don't know. But I, like, I was... I, I was so mad, but at the same point, she was right. I just had to have somebody point out what was seemingly obvious in my life. And that's exactly what Jesus will do if we will listen to him. In verse 13 of Luke chapter 7, it says, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, Don't cry. 
Now think about this. This woman has just lost her son. She is apparently a widow, which means this was her only child. She had already lost her husband. And here comes Jesus, and he says, don't cry. Now, from the outside looking in, that is a seemingly ridiculous statement for anybody to make in that moment. I mean, it's obvious that like she is in mourning, she is hurting, she is in pain, and Jesus says, don't cry. And I, I, I would think that if Jesus came up to me and said that, I would have been like, Jesus, don't cry. I'm about to make you cry for saying, you know what? But, but Jesus is trying to point something out to her. And what Jesus is trying to say is he's coming up to her and he's saying, man, I am bigger than any problem that you're facing and because I'm bigger than any problem, so are you. And there's some people here today that, and the reason you can't get in the line that's walking with Jesus in anticipation is because you're so focused on the problem rather than who's in front of you saying, hey, don't cry. I'm bigger than your problem. Hey, don't cry. I'm bigger than the fact that you got a busted up marriage. Hey, don't cry. I'm bigger than the fact that you just got diagnosed with cancer and we're only given six months to live. Hey, don't cry. I'm bigger than the fact that you're up to your eyeballs in debt. Hey, don't cry. I'm bigger than your problem you've ever faced in your life. And the only reason this woman would have thought his words were ridiculous is if she did not recognize who he was. And listen, Velocity, we'll think the words of Jesus are seemingly ridiculous if we don't understand who he is. And when Jesus said, don't cry, the crowd that had been following him, man, they were like, oh, man, something is about to go down. And the crowd that was following the woman were like, who does he think he is? And it's about to get even crazier. Verse 14, it says, Then he went up and touched the coffin. And I wish I had time to talk about this, but I don't have time to do that. And it says, Those who were carrying it stood still. Now, the reason they stood still is because it freaked everybody out. See, Jesus was a rabbi, and in those days, a rabbi would not touch anything dead or touch anything that was touching something dead. And so when Jesus goes up and touches the dead thing, everybody stops because the moment he touched it in their day and their age, all of a sudden, he would have become ceremonially unclean. He would have become a person that was not able to do any of those things. And I know that there are some of you that are watching this right now, and you think that your sins of the past, that your past is so bad, it's so unforgettable it's so so bad that there's no way that Jesus could ever touch you or come to your situation and I'm here to tell you today that there is not a situation that is so bad that Jesus is not willing to get right in the middle of what you would perceive as so unclean and go hey I want to do something different in this situation like I don't care who you are he touched the coffin and the people who were carrying it stood still and he said he said young man I say to you Get up. Now there's two crowds here. There's the crowd that's walking with Jesus, full of anticipation. And the moment that he says to the boy, hey, get up, they're like, oh, did he just say, get up? I'm sure one of them was a redneck, was like, you think that boy's gonna get up? And then there's another crowd, and they're like, who does this guy think he is. He has absolutely lost his mind. Jesus speaks to a dead boy and commands him to do something that is seemingly impossible. 
I believe that if we will listen to Jesus and listen to when he commands us to do the seemingly impossible and we are filled with faith in those moments and we follow his voice rather than all the reasons we want to give of why we can't, we'll see the God of the impossible take place in our life. And so my question for you today, Velocity, is is what step of faith do you need to take today? Because here's what I know. God will never call us to a fair fight. Like, if God calls you to do something and you can do that thing all on your own, God did not call you to do that thing. You just ate some bad pizza last night and you're having a Maalox moment. Like, God will always call you to an unfair fight to where it's in a seemingly impossible task or thing to do because it's only in that moment that we have to put our full trust, our full faith in him and listen to him and just walk with him and really trust that he will do the seemingly impossible in your life. And so my question is, is what is he saying to you? What is he saying to Velocity Church today? Because I believe we will never be the faith-filled people he's called us to be in our community if we continue to live in doubt. We've got to walk with Jesus. We've got to listen to Jesus. And last of all, number three, we have got to believe in Jesus. And I know everybody says, well, I just believe in Jesus, you know? I, I believe in Jesus. And, and because we're around the church so long, we know that the answer to every question at church is Jesus. We just, that's our answer to everything. Who died on the cross? Jesus. Who, who rose again three days later? Jesus. What's Harry collects nuts and hibernates in the winter? Jesus. No, that's a squirrel. But we think that it's just the answer to everything is Jesus. And we're like, well, I just believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I know you believe in Jesus, but do you actually believe Jesus? See, there's a difference between believing in something and then actually believing it, like trusting it with all that you have. And and, and Jesus says to this boy, he says, get up. Literally, he says, get up. And everybody's like, yeah, except what happens? The boy gets up in Luke chapter seven, verse 15. It says, the dead man sat up. And began to talk. And I started asking myself, like, what did he say? Like, what did he, what did he say in that moment? And, and like, like, what do you say? If you're a pastor and you're doing a funeral and you're in the middle, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Oh, shoot, the, the, guy, the guy gets up. You're like, hey, let's close. Let's go eat some banana pudding. We're in the South here. And so everything is better with banana pudding. You know it's over when the banana pudding happens. And I'm thinking, what did he say in this moment? I wonder when he sat up, did he say, man, it was dark in there. Or, or maybe he said, man, I, maybe he was Southern like us. All I remember is saying, watch this, and then, bam. I don't know what he said in the moment, but the Bible says he said something, and it says he began to talk, and it says, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, in verse 16, this is where I want to stop. In verse 16, it says, they were all filled with awe. It says they were all filled with awe. The crowd that was walking with Jesus that was in anticipation, they were filled with awe. The crowd that was not walking with Jesus but was walking with the mom, they were, they were filled with awe and wonder. The seemingly impossible thing all of a sudden seemed to happen. 
And they're going, we've, we've never seen anything like that before. The non-Christian is filled with all. The Christian is filled with all. And they're going, man, I don't know really what's going on. But here's what I do know. If he can do that, what could he do in my life? If God can seemingly do that in this boy's life and for this mother, what could he do with the situation or the problem that I'm facing? Continues on in verse 16. It says, they were filled with awe and praise God. They said, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said, and God came to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. In other words, they didn't just get around and talk about what had happened internally and debate about it. They said, man, this news is too good to keep to ourselves. This news is so great. We've got to go outside and tell every man, woman, and child about the amazing power of Jesus Christ. A dead man came back to life. Velocity Church, do we believe that Jesus can do the impossible? Do we believe what scripture says and would we do what scripture asks us to do? And I believe that if we do that, we would be blown away and we'd be full of awe. And my prayer for myself, my prayer for my church, my prayer for your church velocity is that you would constantly be Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, blown away by the wonder and awe of who Jesus is and what he's doing in people's lives. And I believe that what happened in scripture 2,000 plus years ago can happen in our day and in our life today. I believe the same miracles that Jesus did then, he wants to do right now. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe that the best is still yet to come. I believe if he did those miracles then, he wants to do an exceptional, extraordinary, above bar miracle in you and through you. And so it goes back to the question of, what do you think they were saying? What do you think the people were saying when, when all of this transpired and happened? And I grew up and uh, my mom is an incredible, incredible chef. In fact, she owned a couple of restaurants and catering businesses. And anytime that we would gather together as a family, she would put together the most incredible uh, display of food. There was always hors d'oeuvres. We would have, you know, a first course, a second course, and, and my mom would cook so much food, and my mom was the kind of lady that was never actually sat down at the table. She was constantly serving everyone at the table. Like, she just wanted to make sure everybody got everything that they needed, and and we get done eating hors d'oeuvres, and then, you know, a salad, and then the main course, and and you would be so stuffed and my mom would come around and she'd be collecting the plates at the end of the meal and you just want to sit back and like lean back because you're just trying to like feel like you could create some sort of room in your stomach because I mean you're just you're stuffed to the backs because the food she would make is incredible. 
And as she would come around and collect the plates, clearing the table, there would be these moments where, where she would lean down to me as she was clearing the plates and she would lean down and she would say, hey T, keep your fork. And when my mom said, hey T, keep your fork, what my mom was telling me in that moment is that as good as that meal was, as profound and as uh, tasteful and satisfying as that meal was, is that she had something better, she had something sweeter, she had something more delicious that was right around the corner, and that, that if I would just wait, if I would just wait in anticipation, she was going to bring something that was absolutely going to blow my mind. And here's what I would tell you, Velocity Church, as good as it's been. As amazing as all the things that God has done, I want to encourage you to keep your fork in this season because I believe what's coming is better than what's ever been and that I believe that your best days are not behind you, but they're ahead of you and that the best is yet to come. If in this season, We'll not just believe in G- believe Jesus, but we'll listen to Jesus and we'll follow Jesus. We'll see the seemingly impossible happen in the midst of your church. Keep your fork because your best days are ahead of you.